If you have your Bibles, you take them out to Ephesians 4 is where we'll be. Ephesians chapter 4. As you turn there, I do want you to notice uh, in your bulletin, I know Pastor Scott did not mention this, uh, but uh, Miss Jenny Grassley, who's been uh, one of the secretaries here at the church for a while now, since about 2008 or 9, I can't remember when her exact hire date was, she received a job offer that she would have been ridiculous not to accept. And so she accepted this job. And so you'll see in the bulletin there that we are taking resumes for her position. And so if that's something you may be interested in, or maybe you have some questions about what that all would entail, uh, you can see me. I'd love to talk to you more, more about that. But if you do want to apply for that, you can send a resume to the church office or drop it off at the church office. We're going to pay a million dollars. No, we're not. Jenny would be like, wait a second. That's a better deal than what I'm getting somewhere else. No, uh, we're not. But uh, if you would like to uh, maybe apply for that, please Please do. We would like to fill that position soon, but we will, we will miss uh, Jenny. It's always good to have an ally, and Jenny's always felt like that uh, with me. And I've always appreciated her and her family, which, who will still be around here, uh, but she's just going to be working somewhere else, and so we will, we will miss her. Uh, but hopefully we'll find somebody soon to, to fill that position. But you can look at that in the bulletin there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24 is our focus this morning. Uh, we have been given a very strong doctrinal stand in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. We've talked about that a lot, how Christ has brought together all kinds of people into his family. That's what we've seen. Jews and Greeks, like was read in Romans there, all saved by the blood of Christ, saved by the blood of Jesus. Paul would say in Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 14, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is the work that Christ has done in all of our lives. If you're here this morning and you've been saved by the grace of God, if you'd say that, that is me, this is what Jesus has done. He's brought you near by his blood, and he's brought us together and unified us together in his blood. And so now we have seen that we have been given a task of unity in this. We've been talking about this in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. This is a great mystery that's been revealed to the world, how, how God would unite Jews and Gentiles all together in Christ. And we are a part of that great mystery continuing to be revealed to the world, to a lost world. Now, we do have a father in Adam, the very first man, but this father of ours, Adam, he failed. He sinned, and as a result, because of this, we see scripturally that we're all stained with sin. But what we have in Christ is the, a new Adam, our, our true father, right? our true savior who has fixed the problem. How? By his blood. Him living a perfect life, not sinning, not falling short, and then sacrificing for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so by his blood we are made new in Christ together. And so this morning, we're going to talk more about that. Like I said, we're going to try to get through uh, verses 17 through 24. But really, the rest of chapter 4 is a section. And Sinclair Ferguson, I think, has a really good breakdown of this. Uh, in verses 17 through 19, he says, what we see is we see what we once were. In verses 20 through 24, what we now are. And then in verses 25 through 32, what we are to become. And we'll be focusing on that next week together. But follow along with me, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 4, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 24. 
It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not what you learned, what you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Once again, in verses 17 through 19, Paul does something that maybe we ask, why do we keep doing this? Because he urges this church, this church family who have been saved by Christ, to not walk like the Gentiles do. And he says there's a, there's a change that needs to happen, that needs to occur in the life of the believer, which we'll look at more in a moment. He's pointing out the fact that we're no longer of this world when we're saved by Christ, but we are of Jesus. And so thus things are going to be different. But what Paul does is he once again shows us our state before grace. You remember he did this before in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. And Paul continually seems to be reminding us that, hey, you are sinners separated from God. Remember, this is how you were. This is how you walk. This is the things that you do. Remember all these things. And the question that comes to my mind, and maybe it comes to your mind as well, is why does he keep doing this? Why is it so important to remember who we once were? Shouldn't we just be forgive and forget? Like, stop reminding me of this all the time. You're really bringing the mood down. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it feels like. It, you've talked about all these great things, but you keep, you keep going back and telling me how bad I was. So we wonder, you know, why, why is Paul doing this? Well, Paul does this for many reasons, I, I'm sure, but a few that I want to mention to you. One, he does this to show us our continual, continual need for the grace of God. It's not something that you just receive once. God, forgive me of my sins. Oh, okay, here's all this grace. All right, I'm good now. Thank you. I'm going to move on out, kind of like a drive through it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. We're reminded how much we need the grace of God every single day in our life. If you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian very long at all, you know how easy it is to slip back into old ways. You know this, and you know how dangerous it is. And so we need to be reminded of that, of how easy it is, but how God has poured his grace out on us and has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to overcome these things. Also, I think by reminding us of who we once were, it helps us to stay united. It helps us to stay, you know, very united. You know, if you go to like a, a workplace and you get around the people who've been there for 30 to 35 years, they're not always a fun bunch to be around. Because they're mean to you. The new guy who's dumb and ignorant and doesn't know how everything works, right? And you just don't, you're just not getting all the jokes and all these things. And you don't know the boss from 15 years ago and blah, 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 right? That can be, that can kind of get frustrating. And it's like those guys have forgotten what it was like to be the new person. Well, I think it can go the same way in church. You're in church life for so long and you're just getting along that you forget what it was like to walk into these doors for the first time, scared to death of what might happen. Scared to death of what, might, what people might think to see you sit down in that pew. To wonder what's going on in their life that they feel they need to go here. 
right? And so we, it comes easy for us to start getting judgy, to start ridicule. We start to get lost in these, these little Christianese things at times. And so it's good for us to be reminded and to go back to say, listen, you think you're of some great big value. You think you, you've mastered all this stuff. You need to remember who you were and what it took to get you there. It didn't take anything on your own. It took Christ and his blood. And he brought you here and he's brought all these people here. Maybe stop thinking so highly of yourself. Maybe love each other. Right? Maybe care for each other. And so in Paul doing this, I think it helps us to stay united. But also it should do this. It 100% should urge you towards evangelism. When we remember the fact that that was me, I was lost with no hope, with no joy, with no peace. I was living a lie. I thought this was the truth. And if it wasn't for Christ intervening, if it wasn't for him showing me the truth, I would still be living a life that led to destruction. And that's how they're living. Right? These people that Paul is talking about, these Gentiles, this is how they live. They live that way. Why? Because they haven't had the grace of God poured out in their life. And we are the ones who go and tell them the truth. We are the ones who go and do this work. And so it should urge us to want to do evangelism. We should have a, a, a heart that is broken for the lostness in this world. It shouldn't build up an anger and a rage inside of us, which I see very often. But it should build up a brokenness, praying, God, open their eyes to the truth. God, please send someone to let them know who you are. Please if it be me, let it be me. And so I think this is one of the reasons, a few of the reasons, why Paul continually is reminding us of who we once were. We actually have a very similar passage in the Bible to what we're reading this morning. It's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 31. But in the Romans passage, Paul really uh, extends this out, but it really does parallel together uh, very well. And so I want to kind of go through this together in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 31 to, to help us to get maybe a little more insight into what Paul is thinking about here as he's talking to the Ephesian church about their relationship uh, to God, about man's relationship to God. Because what, it, what he says in our passage is he talks about how they are darkened in their understanding. Well, and he goes on, alienated because of ignorance. He says hardness of heart. They have a hardness of heart. They are callous to sin. They are given up to sensuality. And then he says they are greedy to practice all impurity. These are the things that he breaks down for us in Ephesians. Well, listen as I read Romans 1, 18 through 31, and it's, it's on the screen as well. You can follow along there or flip to it in your Bible. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now I want to stop there. I don't think what Paul is saying here is they are without excuse to know the name of Jesus Christ and be saved by them. But they are without excuse to recognize there is a God who created all this. That's what he's saying here. Paul's saying it's very obvious in, the, in creation, even outside of churches, for somebody to recognize something did all this. Somebody did all this. And they are without excuse when it comes to this because he, he says that there in that Romans passage, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been perceived. It's clearly there. 
So there is no excuse. He goes on, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, I really think Paul expands what he's talking about here in Ephesians. And if we look at it based off of of the Ephesians passage that we're looking at, like I said, the first thing is he says they are darkened in their understanding. This correlates well, I think, with Romans 1, 18 to 20, which we just read. This is an intellectual darkening of the mind. That's what's being talked about here. God has made mankind very different than animals, although some of you would want to argue that with me. Humans are different than animals. God has created us differently. And one of the big things is we are able to judge good from evil. That is something that God has put within mankind. Yet in this, what we see so very often, I would say all the time, is man chooses evil. Always. When it comes good and evil, we're always choosing evil. Because what you might say is, well, that's not true. Sometimes we choose good things. Yes, but the Bible is very clear. If you choose evil one time, you're guilty of it all. So I don't know where you sit, but for me, it becomes very clear of what I've chose, what Tim chose on his own. Because again, when we look at this passage, it's very easy to think of other people. But I think we need to bring it home sometimes. And the fact is, I have chosen evil not just one time, but I've chosen evil many times in my life. I've chose to sin. I've chose to disobey God. And so because of that, the Bible is very clear. What is deserved is death. And what happens is spiritual death is achieved in this sin. Well, Paul goes on. He says not just are they darkened in their understanding. They're alienated because of ignorance. They're alienated from him because of the ignorance that they have. And this correlates with Romans 1, 21 to 23. There's no excuse here. There's no excuse that can be found in them, whatever or anything, because the Bible is very clear. Sinners have willfully chosen to sin. You choose to sin. You can't look at God and say, God, you made me this way. God, this is part of your plan. 
God, you decreed that this was going to happen. You can't stand there and ridicule God and blame God for your sin because the Bible is very clear. You alone are guilty of your sin, not God. You can't put it on him. He's not the creator of sin. He's not the maker of sin. We have sinned. Our father Adam sinned. And we bear the stain of sin. And sadly, we continue to follow in our father's footsteps. We sin. And so in our ignorance, we continue to sin, but yet it's an ignorance that is willful. And so there is no excuse that we can give to say, wait, 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 it's not my fault. Oh, no, no, no. So-and-so down the line did it wrong. Now it got to me. That's why it's wrong. It's their fault. We don't have that right. Paul goes on in Ephesians to talk about the hardness of their hearts. He says, due to their hardness of heart. In their heart, what Paul is talking about is they have no desire for God whatsoever. Oh, they might say it with their mouth, but in their heart is what matters, and their heart is hard as stone. They have no desire for God. Uh, this is talked about in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The, the second part of that, of that verse came to my mind when thinking about this, when talking about uh, King David and you know, who's going to be chosen. It says, For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's amazing to me. Almost every single person who comes to our church needing rent or needing some food or needing some sort of benevolence, every single person tells me, I love the Lord. I'm just out of church right now because of this. I'm going to get back into church. You'll probably see me Sunday. And I can, I'm just being honest with you. It's probably 2% have I ever seen back. See, with their mouths, they know what to say. They think maybe we'll give them money if they say these right things, which if they would just know, I'm probably going to give it to them anyways. When they walk in here, we're going to meet the need. Uh, I'm not meeting needs just for Christians or for clean people, no. But they always say that. Why? Because they know exactly what to say. But here's the thing. They can say that to me. God knows their heart. God knows their heart. They're not, they're not getting any edge way in. No, nothing is happening there. God knows their heart. What happens on the outside doesn't matter. It's what's happening in the heart. But Paul goes on in this passage in Ephesians, and he says they have become callous. They become callous to sin. That is what's happening here. We see this reflected in Romans 1, 32, again, which I read. It just becomes normal. It just becomes natural to sin and to be around sin. It's just how it is. And so this, again, is the, the natural progression. At first, it seems a little weird maybe to do this sin. It seems very naughty. It seems very wrong. But eventually, after a few times it happens, it begin, begins to become just a normal part of life. And then maybe in the next generation, it's an expected part of life. There, I, you, maybe you've heard this before. They're just kids being kids. We got to let our teens just go sow their wild oats. They got to get it out of them. Where does that come from? Can you tell me what passage that's found in? No, I, I think this is the passage it's found in. It's a callousness to sin to where it no longer shocks us. It no longer hurts us, but it just becomes normal and accepted. Now, I'll be very honest with you. This plays out in my own home, and I'm guilty of it. 
There is a member of my family that when a curse word hits the TV, they are shocked and awed. And I got to tell you, it's not me. It's one of my kids. Dad, why are we watching this? Oh, shut up. Go down the basement. Stop making me feel guilty. Let my callousness remain. Please, stop poking at it. Stop prodding it. But it just becomes normal. It's not a big deal. It wasn't one of the bad words. Well, I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Real bad, not real bad. Just semi-bad. That's a callousness to sin where it's no longer shocking, it's no longer hurtful, but it's just normal and it's accepted. Well, he goes on from there. Not just callous, but then given up to sensuality. Romans 1, 26 to 27 talks about this. Sexual sin then seems to run rampant. Even the unnatural. Even the unnatural unions of sex become just the norm. And it's interesting because Paul always centers this on creation. It's not just some rule that he's making up. He centers it on, on the creation and the created order of how God created man and woman and they would be joined in flesh and they would be able to have children. And this, is, this was God's plan all along. But God, what, what Paul is pointing out here is this, this progression that, that goes through of, of sin and a darkened heart and alienated and ignorance, hardness of heart, callous to sin, and this is where it always is going to lead to sexual sin that is just rampant throughout everywhere, even though it goes against creation. And what Paul then says, it says that not just this, but they can become greedy, right? Greedy to practice every kind of impurity in verse 19. So it goes then even past the sexual sin to where it's not just even worse sins, but now our attitude towards this sin is we're actually greedy that we want it, we want it to happen more. Can't, can't we just get to this some more? How can this be a part of my life? Now, no doubt, as I'm saying this, you can think about society and how this is happening. <clears throat> and we definitely see this happening more and more and more. And a lot of times people want to go to this to talk about homosexuality, which we should. It's definitely there, but we forget that in verses 28 all the way to 32 of, of Romans 1, lists all kinds of sin. There's all kinds of sin that we continue to do. And when Paul gets to the end in verse, uh, there towards the bottom of verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, there is a talking around of what God's word really says to try to say, wait, 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 wait. This is a misunderstood sin. Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Do you know how dumb they were back when they wrote the Bible? Do you know how smart we are now? There really is a philosophical view, and the Enlightenment is a big part of this, that believes mankind is always getting better. That we're always going up and up and up. And I, we can laugh at that, but we believe that in the church too. We definitely think that. You definitely thought the generation before you was dumber than you. That you had things figured out. Right? That you could be a better parent, a better grandparent, whatever it might be. We definitely all have that inside of us. But again, to me, that just shows the sin in our heart. It shows the truth of this passage being played out inside of our hearts. How we have, it seems, this willful desire over and over again. Not to punish sin, but to talk our way around it. 
or to promote it even, or to make it look like it might be good. And sadly today, there are people, even in here, in this room this morning, still living this way. And the fact of the matter is, you serve yourself. You serve the created rather than the creator. And what you need to do this morning is to repent of your sin. You find yourself in this scale that we've been talking about. You know that you are in this cycle and you know that you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. It's never even been a thought. You thought, well, that's just a pretty little thing to add on. And all you've ever done is lip service to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's all you've ever done. And when I quote that verse in 1 Samuel 16, it, it sends chills down your spine because you think, that is me. Oh, man looks at the outward, but, the, but God looks at the heart, and that scares you to death. There's only one solution for you this morning, and it's for you to repent. It's for you to go to Jesus and to seek forgiveness of your sins because he alone is the one worthy enough to do that. He alone is the one able to justify you before God. And we have to be careful with that. You see, when we look at this list of sins, it's difficult because it penetrates. And what I think the world does, and what I think the church wants to do, and we have to be so careful of this, is we want to start to defining for God words. Words such as love. God, I know what the Bible says about love, but that was a long time ago, and they just, they just don't get it then. They didn't see what we see. They don't even have a concept in their mind of things that are being talked about today. Paul never even thought about that stuff. And so, God, I think love is actually this. If God is really a God of love, then God would act in this way. It's a dangerous place to be. You don't get to define any of the words. Those are God's words. He defines love. He defines justification. He defines salvation. He defines obedience. He defines what it means to be a good church member. You don't. I don't. He defines all of those. And the only way we know the truth of those is in this word, nowhere else. We have to get all of our clues and cues from this. And so we follow this. And when God says something is a sin, when God says disobeying parents is one of those sins that means the world is just debased and going down, then disobeying parents is sinful. It's what it is. It's not sowing wild oats. It's not just having a good time. It is sin that leads to hell, and it's serious. It's serious business. But I'm afraid we just become too callous. I'm afraid we become too callous to even see it. But yet we have to. We have to pray that God will soften the hearts, that God will take the scales off of the eyes so that we can see the truth. Because, again, hopefully what we're reading here is stuff that we definitely, we see outside, we see it. And as I said, our hearts should break over the things that we see and the things that we hear. And yes, even we as believers, as I, as I read these verses and we talk about this, we see how even as children of God, we know we've been saved by God's grace, yet we still struggle. 
We still have this struggle inside of us of where we start to fall into that sinful way. It happens. It happens to the best of us as Christians. But that's why we're so thankful that we don't end in verse 19. Paul goes on, doesn't he, in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, he says. Talking to the church. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Paul here points out that those saved by God's grace, he says that you learned Christ. It's kind of a weird way for him to say it, but what he's getting at here is it's, this is more than just learning about Christ or learning of Christ. A lot of people know those things. No, it's about understanding that Christ is all and in all in us. One of the way one of the commentators put it, I don't remember who, but he said, Jesus is the school that you go to. Jesus is the teacher teaching you. Jesus is also the curriculum that is being taught. He's everything. He's all of it. He completely saturates it all. It is him. So this way of life of the Gentiles that he was talking about just a moment ago runs exactly opposite of what God has called us to in Jesus. And so because of this, as believers, something has to change in our life. There needs to be a change that takes place. And the way that Paul talks about it, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So this idea of putting off your old self, there is now, what Paul is talking about, he's saying there is now an action on our part to remove that old self. Yes, this is a work that God does. God saves us. God justifies. He does all of this work. But yet, over and over again in Scripture, we are called to now live this way. Now obey this, which we're going to get to next week. Some particulars. Now do these things. And so there's this action on our part. And I believe, as a Christian, it's a decision every single day that we make. When we wake up, I will follow Christ today no matter what. And now where God's grace kicks in is every day when I go to my pillow and I say, uh, messed up today, his grace is there sufficient for me again. And the next day I wake up, I'm going to follow Christ today. And sometimes in my eyes I do a great job. and other days I do a horrible job. But every day when I lay my head down on my pillow, I know this, God loves me the exact same each day. Each day. He loves me and he cares for me. And Jesus died for me. Paul brings this up again in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. And I'll read this quickly. I know earlier I talked about the old and the new Adam, how we're found in, in our father Adam, but then Jesus is the new Adam. Paul talks about this in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And... The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We as the church, as those who've been saved by God's grace, we are no longer children of Adam. Outside these walls, those are children of Adam. They serve him still. But we are children of Christ, and so we then must live like Christ. We act like a Christian on the inside and out in the things we say, in the things we do, in the things we desire, in the things that we want. And this takes work on our part. It does. We must actively be doing this each and every single day. It's a decision that we make every day to follow Jesus no matter what. Killing sin, turning from sin, turning from temptation, following Christ. This is what we do. The world does not do this. They okay sin. They puff up sin. They try to tell you it's just normal to sin. It's okay. Be who you are. Be the best you. The Bible says the best you deserves death. But the best you can be found in Christ because he's the best you you could never be. And he gives you the free grace of gift, the free gift of grace. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to actually be able to kill our sin, to be able to turn from temptation. I don't want to sugarcoat it from you and you say, well, man, that was sugarcoated? No. Listen, the world's going to hate you. It's just all there is to it. If you follow Christ faithfully in this world, they're not going to like you. It's just not going to happen. And so you have to be ready for that. You're going to be despised. You're going to be forsaken. You're going to be ridiculed. But those same descriptions are wrapped in with Jesus, aren't they? He came to obey the Father. He was despised. He was forsaken. People saw him as make, uh, of actually going against the word of God. And so the world hated him to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so when Jesus would say something to us, like, listen, if you're going to be my follower, you have to take up your cross daily. We can't take that lightly. If you are going to be a faithful Christian that God has called you to be, especially in the times that we are living now, you are going to seem ignorant to the world in the things that you say. Because the word love has been so redefined, you are going to seem very unloving. That's going to happen. It has happened to many of you in your families. When you say, I don't agree with this way of life. I don't agree with what you are talking about here. They say, it's just because you don't love me. When in fact, as a Christian, they couldn't be farther from the truth. I actually love you so much. I need you to know this is not how God has planned it. This is not how God has designed it. There is better for you in Christ. This is the most loving thing that we can say. But listen, they are going to hate that. I promise you. But we still have to be who God has called us to be. And that's what he says as we close in verse 23 and 24. 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul tells this church, you need to be renewed in your spirit. This is a work that God does to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, as I've mentioned. It's something he talks about again in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I've quoted many times. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect being renewed in the spirit. Then he goes on and how we have a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The old self was darkened, ignorant, sinful, greedy, and unjust. The new self is righteous and holy, created in the likeness of God. No more are we children of Adam. No more are we being tossed to and fro. No, we are children of God, able to do good. What? For the glory of God, not for the betterment of this community. Though we want to do that, we should be good citizens in the community. But we live to glorify God above everything else. And next week, what we're going to see is we're going to see how we're called to, what we're called to do in this New self. And so I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 4 this week. I'm very thankful that God hasn't saved us and then just kind of leaves us where we are. But he molds us and makes us into the image of his son on a daily basis. And yes, it's getting to be more ridiculed to live that way. But it's still the absolute only way to live, to be faithful to God Almighty. I know it's difficult to go against the flow of this world, and it's very hard to hear, you just don't love us, when in fact you love them so desperately that you would do anything for them to see it. But you just can't step back from the word of God. You have to take your stand, and you know that, and so you're saying that, and they're saying, but I hate you then because you hate me. That, I'm telling you, if you haven't, heard, if you haven't faced that yet, it is, it is so difficult to walk through. But those are the times that we cling to Christ. And as Christians, we, we actually live out what we believe where we say, Jesus, you are enough. If everybody leaves me, if everybody forsakes me, if I have you, I have all things. It could come to that. It could come to that. Are you too busy in your life? I think this is the question we can ask this morning, all of us, of looking very good on the outside, but your heart on the inside is callous. It's stone, and you know it. You know the right answers. You know the things to say. You know how to act wherever you are. You're like a chameleon. You can do it. You've learned to navigate through this world, but you know your heart is stone. There's only one place that that can be solved, and it's through Christ. That's it. I would beg you, I would urge you, if you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that you would do that this morning. Christian, been saved maybe a long time, I would beg you and urge you 
to live out your faith, to get rid of that old self daily, and to daily put on your new self, walking in the light of God and serving him, no matter what situation you may face. And this is why we so desperately need each other. This is why Paul talks about unity so much, because when you do that, it's going to stink so bad. It's going to hurt you so bad that when you walk into this place and you have other believers wrapping their arms around you, that you're going to realize this is what the church is. This is what I need because I am getting persecuted out there. At least I have a place here in the church where we're all doing it together and we can cry together. That's why it's so important that we're unified. Because we need each other to be faithful to our new self each and every day in Christ. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word again this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to respond how we should, whatever that is. God, I know for some there needs to be repentance of sin. For some, they need to, by faith, trust in Jesus for the first time. Receive that grace that only you can give. And God, I pray that you would do that work in the hearts of people here this morning. God, we do live in a time where we see this passage in Romans and in Ephesians so obviously playing out. And God, really, I, we live in a time, I feel, where that's creeping into churches so evidently. And so God, I ask that you would help us to be wise according to your word. Give us the wisdom to see those things, but give us the boldness to take a stand for you or we should. But God, to remember that you tell us to have kindness and humbleness and gentleness and patience. So God, not, we don't want to be people of anger and rage and malice and all these things as we fight against this culture, but God, to understand that's not going to win anything. You have already fought the battle. You have already won. Jesus has already declared victory. And God, we have the privilege as your children now to go around and to tell people the good news of the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Help us to be faithful to that task. Help us to be united together here at this church to love each other, to understand that our brothers and sisters in the Lord are going through great struggles maybe within their family as they try to stand up for what's right according to the word. They're, they're trying hard. God, help us to love them and to minister to them. Help this to be a place of great encouragement and accountability where we can cry together and laugh together and be there for one another, knowing that, yes, the outside world is pushing in, trying very hard to break each person. But God, your word assures us in Romans that nothing can separate us from your love, nothing. No matter how hard they push and prod or try to steal or ridicule or shame, no matter what they do, you cannot be took from your children. And so God, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you wrap your arms around me, not the other way around and that you never let me go. So God, help us to rest in that this morning. God, as we sing this song here in a second, help us to respond to your word how we should. And maybe we need to repent of trying to define who you are instead of you telling us who you are. Or maybe we need to repent of some sin in our lives or count, whatever it might be. God, we want to do that during this time. So help us as we sing this song to worship you and help us to respond to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.